I have a guest today that uh, I have been talking to for a long time to get her to come on the show because her insight on so many different issues, starting with being a cop's wife to getting into politics and what it's really like on the southern border um, are all things that uh, I know that all of you are interested in. So we finally got a chance to sit down and talk. Representative Rachel Jones, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be with you. So um, so let's start with this because you are a huge supporter um, of not just law enforcement, of course, here in Arizona, but American law enforcement as well. And part of that is you are a cop's wife. You live in a police family. Um, so talk about how that affects your family and then also how that affected your decision to make that move into politics. Yeah. So I always knew when I met my husband and we were dating, I knew he wanted to go into law enforcement. He was majoring in criminal justice in college. And I had no idea it was going to end up being the Border Patrol, which has been quite the roller coaster, you know, over the last uh, almost 20 years that he's been in. But he survived the Obama years. So we're trying to hold on to that truth right now uh, with the situation at the border being just the worst he's ever seen it. And um, it's definitely he's now sitting behind a desk. So I don't have to sit up late nights worrying about him when he doesn't come home on time and things like that. Uh, there were definitely a lot of worries during the Obama administration with the Los Cetas cartel running rampant. And I think my husband was worth $50,000 dead or alive. People don't realize, you know, that those types of things do go on uh, with the cartel. But yeah, it's been definitely a journey and a roller coaster ride and I do have him to blame for me going into politics as well so he kind of and, and I know that I he and I have have uh, discussed that talk about what it was like um when he first started on the border patrol as opposed to the way it is now because again and you know when you start your law enforcement career you and your whole family are very idealistic and and I know because I you know I, of course I know so many border patrol agents they tend to be just extremely patriotic. Their job really is to, to be that stopgap measure between foreign enemies who want to come in and just people who want to break our laws and the rest of us who are, are here legally. You know, what have you seen in the last 20 years? So when he first started in the Border Patrol, first of all, it was a lot more difficult to get through the academy. The standards were a lot higher. You know, as things got worse and different administrations took over, they kept lowering those standards, which is crazy to me. We shouldn't be lowering the standards for our law enforcement. But they wanted to really bulk up the, the Border Patrol um, at the end of the Bush administration. So they were that was when they started to lower the standards. Um, it was a totally different thing when he started under President Bush. Um, they were, they, their hands weren't so tied. They were free to just do their jobs. You know, they, uh, the border was obviously a lot more secure. It was the most secure it had ever been under President Trump. Uh, the last, you know, before this 
jokester sitting in the White House. But um, yeah, it was it has changed a lot over the years. But what happened under both Obama and this current administration is the Border Patrol agents, they are babysitters. They are not able to do their jobs. They have an 80% reduction of actual agents on the border, which is just ridiculous. But that's because they're now being tasked to babysit because the illegals are just pouring through, you know, the entries, the ports of entry. They are just pouring over the border and they're basically just giving up and giving themselves up to the Border Patrol. And then these agents are spending all of their time just processing illegal aliens. And honestly, they're putting them on airplanes and buses and sending them further into the country. So to say the morale is low right now, and I know that's the case in various law enforcement agencies across the country, I've never seen it this low. Um, it just is heartbreaking to me being in a law enforcement family. You know, I just wish there was more I could do, honestly, to help um, to help these officers and these agents. Well, and it is very frustrating living in a border state like we do. We're we we are both here in Arizona. And you know, you talked about the dangers first of all, you know, because the Mexican cartels, you know, that's not a TV show. It we live it here in southern Arizona, of course in Texas, New Mexico and California, the cartels really really control um what happens, you know, at our southern border, not just with the flow of of drugs and weapons, but the flow of people, they control, um, they control the people, don't they? They absolutely do. The human trafficking that is going on right now at the border that our, you know, current administration is just allowing, they're allowing children and adults to be trafficked. There is sex trafficking. You know, you hear these horror stories about little toddler age girls coming over the border. They have 24 different semen samples inside of them. I mean, it is heartbreaking what's going on. And that is why when, when the other side likes to argue that it's humane to let them into our country, this is the furthest thing away from humane because of how they're treated in their journey across the desert. Um, you know, most of these women and children have been abused when they get here. My husband has unfortunately seen a lot of that um, himself and you don't get over things like that. And so I, I would say the biggest, it's a humanitarian crisis what's going on. And um, it is other than the fentanyl and like you said, the drugs and the weapons. I mean, this is just an absolute travesty, so. And one of the things that's happening during this current administration is uh, the administration's losing track of tens of thousands of uh, unaccompanied minors. In other words, children, aren't they? Yes, they are. They, they're losing track of them. Uh, what's happening is, I mean, I will tell you, some of these groups that are coming through, you know, there was one in one group that came through recently. I think there were right around 200 people in that group, out of the 200, 136 were single males, 136. And what they're doing with some of these kiddos is they're actually, they pay 
these these adults that don't have children will pay upwards of $12,000 per child so that they can come through the border and look like a family unit. And then what happens is, who knows what happens to, to those children once they get here. I mean, it is just, it's absolutely disgusting. You know, in that same group, there was not a single person from Mexico. They were, I think there were 30 plus different countries represented in there. There were numerous Middle Eastern countries represented in that group. And that is one group. That is one group that came across into the Tucson sector. And that is day after day after day after day. And yes. so Rachel, you got frustrated with seeing this and so many other things. And so um, you decided to, you know, we all talk about doing something. You actually decided to do something. Talk about your big change in careers. I, I did. So, you know, I've, I'm one of those people, I've worn numerous hats. You know, I started after college, I was in the business world. I was a business executive. And then my husband got the job with the border patrol, drug me to the desert. I said, if you get stationed in Ajo, you're going alone. Uh, fortunately, he got NACO and we lived down in Sierra Vista for a long time. And um, yeah, he, after, you know, I was a teacher for a little while. Once we started having kiddos and raising a family, I wanted to have the same schedule as them. And then we took in three foster kiddos and adopted them. So we went from two to five children, which kept me plenty busy. So I stepped away from teaching and decided to just focus on being a mom. And so right around after the 2020 election, I must have been just whining and complaining constantly because my husband said, why don't you run for office? And I think my exact words to him were, you're insane. You've lost your mind. Um, so I told him that I would pray on it for, you know, a little while. And I did. I prayed about it for about a month. And God said, you're doing this. So I decided to fill out, you know, the the statement of interest to put my hat in the ring. And I was actually running for the state Senate when I first put in. And then the same wonderful lady who ran in 2020, she put her name back in there and I called her and we realized we are way too similar on all of the issues and our values and all of that. So I decided to jump over to the house and we decided to run for the Senate seat and the house seat in our current district together. And then along the way, we picked up another, another seat mate. So that's kind of how that happened. And it, man, it's been, um, Getting into politics will definitely toughen your skin. It will strengthen your character um, and it will give you gray hair as well. I thought my kids did that, but politics has definitely taken their spot. So it's, um, you know, we all learned how, uh, you know, a bill comes to fruition and blah, blah, blah. We all learned that, you know, in, in school, in grade school. Um, but real life politics is very different, isn't it? Oh, yes. There's there's always a battle. Um, unfortunately, a lot of the battles are within your own ranks. I I was very blessed, you know, being a freshman, I, I was extremely excited to get the vice chair position on the military and public safety committee because that is so near and dear to me. So I've been able to 
help a lot of really good bills that back the blue support our law enforcement. I've been able to help get those out of the committee and onto the House floor, uh, vote yes on them, send them over to the Senate. And, you know, that's been probably one of the best parts of this in and amongst all of the other chaos and craziness that ensues. But, you know, I went into this knowing I just need to always do what I believe is right. That's why I'm here. And everything that I do, I have to think about my voters and the people. They put me here. And far too many of our legislators have forgotten that they are representatives of the people. And instead, what I've learned is they're up there representing the special interests and the lobbyists. I, I knew that was going on, but when you're actually up there in the mix, you know, just in in the swamp, so to speak, to see how many are beholden to those lobbyists and to the special interests, it's it's very infuriating. But, you know, I'm hoping that I can plant some seeds and be an example up there. Um, some of these legislators have been there eight years or longer. And I think they've just forgotten where their heart was when they first ran. And so to help them remember, you know, it, I have found that it's still in there in some of them. So to encourage them to do the right thing, to remember they're there for the people has been uh, really something I've been focused on doing while I'm up there. Now, you know, one of the things when we talk about um, what's happening in not just uh, in border states, but very much around our urban areas and into our rural areas too, is uh, is drugs. I mean, we have a drug problem in the United States. There's just no other way to say it. Talk about specifically the fentanyl crisis that we have here on the southern border. Yeah, I, I've never seen anything like it, honestly. I, right here in Tucson, I mean, we have we had three business owners decided to get together and start what they named the Tucson Crime Free Coalition. And what started as three business owners has grown to thousands of people because, you know, fentanyl is such a problem in Tucson. Some of these business owners, they were having to show up and still are having to show up four hours early before their place of business opens because they have feces to clean up. They have damage to their property, broken glass that they have to clean up, drug needles. You know, some of these businesses, one, they were sitting in their place of business and someone who was strung out on fentanyl or something ran in with a machete. Um, the homelessness here in Tucson has exploded because of our, our local government. You know, they're Democrats. They they once again say it's humane to allow the homeless people to stay in their state of misery. Let's allow them to put their tents up on the streets. They have nowhere else to go. And, and that's just not true. There are numerous organizations, missionaries and shelters here in Tucson who will take them in. It's just that most of these people either are on fentanyl, as we said, or they have a lot of mental illness. So it is, I just, as I said before, I've never seen anything like this. I have unfortunately met parents that have lost their children to fentanyl poisoning. Um, one couple that has stuck with me, I think their son, he was in his early 20s and he thought he was getting a hydrocodone from a neighbor. What wound up being fentanyl, laced with fentanyl, 
four days later, his parents couldn't get a hold of, of him. And four days later, they found him dead, curled up in his bed. I mean, this, this is unacceptable to just allow our border to be open and allow, you know, I mean, this is killing our children. They are putting fentanyl in vapes. You know, I have three teenagers and I have told them, don't touch anything because you don't know what's in it. I mean, honestly, at this point in time, you know, you they can lace just about anything with fentanyl. And I, I just, I don't, other than closing the border and as far as our law enforcement goes, like I said, I mean, the morale for our law enforcement, especially here in Tucson, um, I have a very good friend who's a Tucson police department detective. And some of the stories he tells me about, you know, going into the most awful parts of Tucson, you know, what you would call Skid Row of Tucson and what they see. I mean, people just out there, you know, just smoking fentanyl right there on the streets. They actually had one gentleman, they asked him for drugs and he was so high that he offered to give two uniformed police officers drugs and they just couldn't believe that was happening. You know, people are high on fentanyl. They're walking out, stepping out into the streets, getting hit and killed by vehicles. I mean, this is it, this is looking less and less like America to me in some of our cities like Tucson and Phoenix even. I just, I can't even believe it. And this is happening everywhere, you know, Seattle and L.A. and New York and Chicago. That's why, uh, you know, that that saying every state is a border state is really true now, isn't it? It doesn't. These problems don't just stay here in the southern border. Uh, they travel yeah. and they are literally in every state, especially in urban areas. And it is so frustrating for American law enforcement because you know, we get on, we become police officers because we want to help people. And, and, you know, just what you said, where a lot of people say, oh, these people are homeless. Let's get them homes. Let's, let's get the unhomed, a roof over their head. If you don't get them off drugs and get them help with their mental illness. And very often those two are combined, aren't they? People who yeah. are addicted to drugs are very often trying to self-medicate um, especially our veterans, because that's another, I know that's another important issue to you. Um, yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's very frustrating. Uh, it must be frustrating. I know it's frustrating for me as a cop. It's very frustrating for you as a, 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 not just a legislator, but as a mom and a citizen, isn't it? Oh yeah. I mean, it, to think of, you know, I have five children to think of them growing up in a world like this, uh, you know, Tucson, I love Tucson. Tucson has a lot of character. It's very artsy. It's got a very good feel compared to Phoenix. You know, it feels smaller still. And to see what's happening to Tucson because of the drugs and the homelessness. And, you know, it, it is speaking of veterans. I mean, why are we, what I'm finding out about Tucson and Pima County is how much money they're giving to house and care for illegals, you know, give them medical care, give them everything they need, but forget about our veterans. I, I just, what are we thinking these days? You know, our veterans are so forgotten, but like you said, I mean, this is, it has become where our entire country is a border state because we are allowing, the current administration is allowing them to be moved up into the Northern part of the country the cartel is not just in Mexico. The cartel is already here. You know, you see these firefights across the border 
in the South where they are just shooting citizens. They are going into some of these border towns, you know, the Sinaloa cartel. They are just, there are these mass shootings. It, I mean, is it going to take those actual things happening on our side of the border for people to wake up? I don't know. But the cartel is very much here already. And they have networked themselves all the way through all of the states. And I think being from Colorado originally, it is easy to get kind of removed and get in your bubble up there. And I think a lot of people who live in the northern part of the country, they don't understand what's really going on at the border. And you're definitely not going to get the real information from the fake news media. Um, they, you know, a lot of the numbers that they put out there, I will tell you right now, it's even worse. You know, the data that comes through is even worse than what they're saying on the mainstream media. So people just really don't understand how bad it is. Rachel, you have a fantastic presence on social media in our last couple of seconds here. Where can people find you? So I like to stir the pot. So if you like that kind of thing on Twitter, I am at rj the number four arizona is my twitter handle on facebook i'm rachel jones for arizona i do get banned shadow banned a lot on facebook so my stuff doesn't get out as far and wide but i am on there and i am also on truth uh, as truth social as rachel jones for arizona as well or rachel jones arizona absolutely well we appreciate you spending time with us today and if you'd like more information about the National Police Association, visit us at nationalpolice.org. Put the gun down! Last year, Law enforcement officers were involved in hundreds of thousands of use of force incidents. A use of force incident is when an officer must use nonverbal tactics to gain control of a dangerous situation. Put the knife on the ground. In many cases, officers have no choice but to use force when a suspect doesn't comply with a lawful order. Use of force is always ugly. No one likes it, especially police officers. Together, we can help de-escalate these dangerous encounters. Help police officers by complying with their lawful orders. Don't attack, attempt to disarm, or flee from an officer. Use of force is an officer's last option. Most incidents can be avoided by not resisting arrest. If you feel you've been wrongfully detained by a police officer, then seek a legal solution after the encounter has been resolved. Let's keep everyone safe. Comply now and complain later.